Good evening. Welcome to those of you that are on Facebook Live. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 21 this evening. And for Lashley's uh, sake, uh, you'll notice the title, Israel's Failure, Part 3, Ignorance of the Parameters of Salvation and the Predictions of Scripture. So if you're looking up the title on uh, uh, Sermon Audio, uh, she can't put that much in there. So uh, find the ones that are uh, appropriate. So let's uh, read chapter 10, verses 11 to 21, and then we'll pray. Okay, now the Scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the Lord, same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him? Excuse me. How can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. But all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have spread out my hand to a disobedient and defiant people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your love and care for us. Thank you for this time together as we consider once again uh, the topic of why Israel has been set aside for the time being. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are going to fulfill your promises to them, and ultimately they will be uh, the main group of people that you're working with uh, in time to come. As we look forward to that time coming, we recognize that it's not going to look pretty. So we would ask, Lord, that you would give us grace and strength and wisdom to act accordingly for your honor and glory until that day comes when we see Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Give us wisdom in our understanding tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Uh, ignorance of the parameters of salvation. Now imagine if you were to ask the average Jewish person, how can one be saved? First of all, they would wonder kind of like what you were talking about, because in their mindset, it was all going to be here on earth. They weren't thinking about eternity per se. Um, even the law, when you think about the keeping of the law, the keeping of the law was not for the purpose of eternal life. It was for the purpose of remaining in the land. Okay? Uh, most of the curses come down to, if you don't keep the law, these are the things that I'm going to remove from you until ultimately I kick you out of here. So for a lot of Jewish people, 
the concept of a life after death was something that they understood, but it wasn't what it was all about. It was all about here. Because even the future kingdom, if you think about it, the promises of the future kingdom is here. Okay? So when we talk about the parameters of salvation, in the Old Testament, though salvation is presented, it's not clear like if you're really looking for it in the New Testament. I mean, what is the gospel? According to Paul, for I delivered unto you, first of all, the gospel that you believed on, that you are standing in if you didn't believe in vain. And then he goes on to explain what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. I mean, that's pretty clear if you think about it, right? In the Old Testament, what do we got? You know, if you sin, I want you to bring an animal to the gate of the temple uh, complex, and I want you to put your hands on it and confess your sins before the priest. He's going to cut the throat of that uh, animal, and that animal is going to die. And it's kind of like, good thing, I don't have to. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Um, there's a lot of pictures that point toward the gospel, and there's all kinds of places where, well, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. But it was a puzzle that they were trying to put together without the picture on the box. When we come to the New Testament, we got the picture on the box. And we wonder, how come they didn't get it? That's why. <laughs> okay? It's much clearer from this perspective than for that perspective. So the parameters of salvation, verses 11 to 18. The Jews rejected that God's grace extended to the Gentiles. Okay? They were God's chosen people. Therefore, they were the only, quote-unquote, saved people. So in their mind, being in the land, I imagine saved would indicate they had a relationship with God and they were blessed of Him, and that's really all it came down to. As far as life after death, when you're reading the Scripture, David seems to have a clue about life after death, right? Okay? And I'm sure some other people did, but I'm not sure that that was one of those understood things for the majority. Okay? Uh, notice letter B, they are willingly ignorant. Let me read a couple of verses. Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, question. What does a priest do? He preaches. <laughs> Actually, no, not in the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, he, he's a mediator between a holy God and not-so-holy people. Okay, He's a go-between. So if Israel, as a nation, was going to be a kingdom of priests, who are they going to be a go-between between? Holy God and Gentiles. Okay? So they're willingly ignorant. They're forgetting, hey, this is your job. How about Isaiah 42, 6 and 7? I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So again... The children of Israel are the ones that are going to be a, a light to the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> there are a couple more verses in Isaiah that talk about 
God's servant being a light to the Gentiles. I didn't include those because those are obviously messianic passages. And though it applies to Christ, Christ was the perfect Israel, if you will. He did what they didn't do, but they were supposed to. And then, of course, in Acts 13, 46 and 47, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it, you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So you see, Paul is applying that verse in Isaiah 42 to what uh, his job was, and that was to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles because Israel, of course, blew it. <clears throat> So that brings us to our passage in verse 11. He starts out, for the scripture says, uh, by the way, this ought to become one of those phrases that we are just ready to use all the time. God's word says, the scripture says, the word of God says, because it's not what you think, it's what God says. Amen. Uh, I listened to a video this afternoon a uh, guy said, I have one simple question that no Muslim can answer. Kind of like, okay, that's interesting. And then he goes and quotes surah after surah after surah, showing that they don't even regard their scripture the way they regard our scripture. They want proof from the scripture that Jesus said that he was God and that he was dying for sins. And there's nothing that where Jesus says, I am God and I'm here to die for sins, obviously. So when you use that same sense on them, everything that proves that even in from Muhammad's perspective, you know who Allah is? I am the first and the last. Oh, what, who, who else says that? Well, Jehovah does in Isaiah, and Jesus does in Revelation. Hmm, interesting. Well, what about that? Yeah, that's just your interpretation. They just keep on doing that. It's just your interpretation, just your interpretation. It's kind of like, no, it says that, so who is Allah if you want to get technical, you know? And... Um, but of course, it's just your interpretation. Your Bible has been corrupted. Da -da -da -da. And you got to remember, the Quran was written, ooh, what, 600 years after the New Testament was completed. 400 years after the New Testament had been recognized as being canonical. Okay? They complain about the men in 325 choosing books and throwing other books away. They corrupted it. And yet... Muhammad looked at that New Testament and said, you guys need to believe that stuff. And if you have any questions, ask the people of the way. Go ask the Christians. And so he finally asked this question and it's kind of like, wow, it's, it's a real good video. It's not a short one. So uh, if you're interested in it, I can text it to you and you can watch it. But uh, it is one of those things where, once again, when we come back here, the scripture says, 
We got to know what it says. What does it say? Well, it says in letter A here, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. This is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious stone, a a sure foundation. Whoever believes in it will not act hastily, Jeremiah seventeen seventeen. do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Now, Jeremiah is basically saying, I am putting my trust in you. So I'm expecting not to be ashamed. So um, it goes on. Notice God has always been calling Gentiles. Notice the words he uses here. Whoever by faith believes Whoever believes, whoever is just for Jewish people? No, it's whoever. So God's always been calling Gentiles. Notice the gospel in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Or how about if any man is in Christ Jesus? He is a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, everything is becoming new. So any man. It's not a matter of God only called the Jews. He's always been calling anyone who would believe, but he, was cho- he chose the Jews to be that light to attract others. They just never understood their job. Number two, the prophets witness to, the righteous, to righteousness by faith. In Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So here we have now the gospel, it's been revealed. And if you look back, the prophets and the law, they speak to this matter. They verify that the gospel is the truth. So the prophets witness to the righteousness by faith. Letter B, the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach salvation by faith. Now we can say that in the Old Testament, it's a little bit, uh, it's not as clear unless you understand a few things. But consider with me the book of Jonah. The barrier for salvation was not racial or cultural. Here, Jonah is told to go to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were wicked, wicked people. When they uh, captured enemies, they would skin them alive and then use their skin for lampshades. I mean, not nice people at all. You wouldn't want them living in your neighborhood type thing, okay? And Jonah is told to go, and what was he told to preach? Not the gospel. 40 days, and God's going to judge you. Okay, so he's going to preach judgment. He didn't even want to do that. Now, why? He says, because I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were going to save these people. Ah, I don't want that. Okay? Because they're not of the right race. They're not culturally uh, right. And, uh, you know, I don't like them. Hmm. I wonder if the church ever took on that attitude when it came to sharing the gospel with people around us. I can guarantee that we probably have. Because anything that Israel's been guilty of, I got a feeling if you look close enough, we, the church, not 
Edgemont, but the church has been guilty of somewhere in the rush. Okay, uh, the reality is is uh, um, the God. Uh, let me see. There we are. A barrier for salvation is not racial or cultural. Uh, personal rejection of God uh, who offers it. That is the problem. In 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, if we go back and look at uh, Romans chapter 9, we're going to see more uh, heavy emphasis on election. Okay, the Jewish people were chosen by God. Like us, we were chosen by God from before the foundations of the world. In chapter 10, we see a heavier emphasis on, but they did not believe personal responsibility. Everybody wants to determine which side of the spectrum you're supposed to be on. And the answer is yes. Okay, yes, God does do the choosing and you're personally responsible to believe. And the people that believe, well, God chose them. The people that don't believe, they're 100% responsible because they chose not to believe. Okay? So in this particular case, they uh, did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So personal rejection of God who offers it is the reason why people do not come to salvation. Those saved will not be disappointed. Isaiah 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you. Now he's just talking about God who acts for the one who waits for him. Imagine that. Here Isaiah is talking 730 BC. And he says, let me read it again. Who acts, God is the one that's acting for the one who waits for him. Isaiah's preaching a pre-tribulational rapture, if you think about it here, okay? Now, obviously, the church is still a mystery. He's not preaching a pre-tribulational rapture. But what are these people looking for? They're looking for God to come, if you will. Uh, in the New Testament, we see Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the, into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, the idea of not being disappointed, basically, uh, again, think about it with me for just a minute. As believers, if you're here tonight, you're a believer, you're listening on Facebook, you're a believer. Someday, death is going to come knocking on your door. Now, we're all looking forward to the return of Christ. Hopefully, we're going to skip that part, right? Uh, I don't know how many uh, saints over the centuries have been looking forward to the return of Christ. Even Queen Elizabeth, now I, I have no idea if Queen Elizabeth was saved. But what I can tell you is she said, I hope that the Lord returns in my lifetime. I don't know about you, but that's kind of like, dude, maybe, you know, just because she went to an Anglican church instead of a Baptistic type church, we'll, we won't hold that against her, okay? But whole point being is if death comes as it has for her, we close our eyes here. Now, that's really the part that we struggle with. What, what's go, what are we going to suffer before we uh, enter eternity? But we close our eyes here, 
And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When does the soul leave the body? Uh-huh. When you die, okay? To be present with the Lord. And all of a sudden, you are seeing things. How did Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? You are seeing and hearing things that no man can utter. No one is going to be disappointed when they get there. Ah, shucks, they don't have a wet willies here. You know, something like that. No, you're going to be so, whoa, that it's going to be, you'll be quite satisfied. Would you agree with that? Okay, Uh, those who believe on him will not be put to shame. They'll not be disappointed. Number three. God is no respecter of persons. He goes on to say, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Pride and ethnic heritage goes out the window with God. Look, I know a lot of things have been have happened over the centuries when it comes to, you know, who thinks who's best, uh, who suffered under slavery. And oh, by the way, it wasn't just African-Americans. It was the Irish. It was uh, the Jews with Egypt. It was, you know, any number of peoples when it came to Babylon and stuff like that. Uh, the reality is, is no matter how great this country might be, God doesn't look at us and say, ooh, American, let's put him on the good side of heaven. Ooh, uh, Egyptian. No, we're, we're gonna, no, no, no. But I, I see that even among Christians where, you know, those, those Christians over there, they're, they're not quite as good as us. Oh, you want to be really careful because with God, there's, he's, there's no distinction. There's no res, he's not a respecter of person. Notice how many times in the book of Romans, I think it's like 16 times that Paul says uh, to, the grew and all, uh, to the Jew and also to the Greek. So notice, there is neither Jew nor Greek when it comes to salvation. This is one of my favorite verses that's misinterpreted really, really bad in a lot of other churches. Now, I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying you got to read what it says in the context. Notice, there is neither Jew nor Greek. uh, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. uh, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, in the context, it doesn't matter who you are in order to be saved. Where it says there is neither male nor female, some of our uh, looser in their interpretation, brothers and sisters, hopefully brothers and sisters, say, see, even a woman can be a preacher. It's kind of like, wow, you're really reading into, because context, it's all about salvation. Okay, It's how a person is justified, not the ministry in which they can serve. Okay, so uh, neither Jew nor Greek. How, how about Ephesians 2, 11 to 13? Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Now, the Jews would have thought that they were near to God, and here he's saying Gentiles have been brought near. So there's no distinction there, uh, no respecter of persons. Uh, For the same Lord, he goes on to say, who called Abraham and his descendants to be his chosen people, 
The same Lord is Lord over all. Acts 10.36, For the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. If you're not sure of that, Acts 15.9, And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Speaking of the Gentiles that were believing. Uh, Romans 3.22 and 29 uh, I've already read 22, but in 29 it says, Or is he the God of the Jews only? He is not also the God. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So he is Lord of all. And the gospel is rich to all who call upon him. Ephesians 1 7, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, and then verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Whole point being in all of that, when we talk about believing the gospel, we see the riches of God's mercy, the riches of God's grace, and it's for everyone who will call upon him. So the condition that brings us to the condition, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. We see in Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the remnant who, uh, whom the Lord calls. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, quoting from that very passage. And then again in chapter 9, verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon the name of the Lord. Speaking of Paul before his conversion, well, actually, uh, his conversion has kind of happened, and now people are kind of worried about him because he showed up in town, but uh, God's already taken care of that. Uh, whole point being is, notice, what's the condition for salvation? Believing, but in this particular passage that Paul's talking about, it's those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, why would they call upon the name of the Lord? Because they believe. Okay, we'll see that as we go along here. So notice, the word saved in Hebrew is yasha, and it's used approximately 160 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word for salvation is sozo, or saved, uh, and it is used over 100 times in the New Testament. And Paul, having written about half of the New Testament, uh, uses it 45 times. Now, when uh, the whole point of that is we are talking about the salvation that we're all participating in because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So notice the word here, saved, connotes worship. Excuse me, the word calls upon the name of the Lord, connotes worship, adoration, and the praise of God. Uh, let's see how it's used in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 79, 5 and 6. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations who do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Notice, they're not calling on his name. They're not worshiping him. They're not adoring him. They're saying to God, 
Yeah, get on, get on them because they didn't call on you. How about Psalm 105, verse 1? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Obviously, these people are not saying call on his name to be saved. They're, they're talking about worshiping God and make known what he's done to the people that are around you. Okay? So that, that's why we say the word for uh, calling on his name connotes worship, adoration, and praise. So when he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he's not just saying, okay, Jesus, whatever you want to do, let's do it. You know, he's recognizing this is God. This is the only one that can help me in my situation. That person is going to be saved. Notice this is not just a desperate plea to any deity, Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart uh, that God has raised him from the dead. Uh, this, This is a recognition of him being God and what he's done so that I might be saved. It's not just a, oh, God, save me. Any God out there? Hello, knock, knock. Anybody out there can listen to me? I watched a movie this afternoon that uh, is filled with all a multitude of gods. Okay, it's one of those Marvel uh, movies. And uh, someone called upon his God and uh, was hoping that they would save his daughter. And of course, false gods can't do much. And of course, if you look at what people believed about the various gods throughout the centuries, the gods are just kind of playing with people like little pawns on a chessboard. And they're not really there to love the people, to take care of the people, though that's what the, they just want people to uh, recognize them. Well, some of that kind of comes out in this movie. And this guy called upon the gods to save his daughter and uh, the gods didn't respond. So he became the killer of gods. Now, some of you know which movie I watched this afternoon. doesn't matter. I was explaining to Poppy that uh, a variety of these gods, because they had some of the Roman gods, some of the Greek gods, some of the uh, Norwegian gods there. I was explaining to him that, you know, these are all fallen angels, part of the divine council, that were supposed to be pointing people to the God, and they started taking everybody's praise and worship. And so when those people called upon them, they didn't really do anything for them. Unlike God, the one who calls upon him, connoting worship, uh, praise, adoration, that one shall be saved. Letter D, a further explanation of the universal extent Uh, Paul is going to ask a lot of rhetorical questions in this area, uh, but he's trying to use simple logic to help them see this really comes down to they didn't do what has been revealed to them that they should have done. Okay, notice uh, number one here. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Okay, first part. You can't call on someone that you don't believe in, right? Second part. How shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? Well, you can't call on someone you haven't believed in. You can't believe in someone unless you know something about him. Third part, and how shall they hear without a preacher? There's got to be someone that's going to tell them. Okay? Now, in in Israel's case, we're going to see in a few minutes, they had all kinds of declarations, proclamations, prophets, judges that were telling them and they didn't believe. 
Okay, uh, Titus uh, one three here says, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now, uh, this is one of the reasons why we're not ashamed to speak for an hour at a time, because God has called us to preach the truth of the Word of God. Uh, I don't know how many people I've talked to even recently that say, well, just about every church we go to, the message is about 25 to 30 minutes long. That's all. Now, it'll still have truth in it, but it's only 25 to 30 minutes. And can I tell you, I'll bet Pastor would agree with me on this. When we were in homiletics class, yeah, homiletics. I get homiletics and hermeneutics mixed up sometimes. But when we were in teaching you how to preach classes, they told us 25, 30 minutes maximum. Why? Because people have short attention spans. I understand. But I know what's going to happen the rest of the week. Here's some of y'all been sitting here for, well, by the time we're done, it'll be two hours. You will have sat here for and listened to guys talk. And I know your mind shoots in and out, thinking about different things. You know, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and try and figure out how I'm going to put a, uh, a roosting rod in my hoop coop. Why on earth would my mind go there? I don't know, but the same thing happens to you while you're sitting there, right? Mind, mind goes all over the place, and therefore we should only preach for 25 minutes because you're attention deficit. No, you're going to be battling spiritual warfare throughout the week, and you need the Word of God. As far as your attention going in and out, God doesn't understand that kind of stuff. Okay? And hopefully we're mature enough to understand that kind of thing so that we can get a hold of ourselves and say, whoa, back up. <laughs> Let's get back there and listen to pastor again. Okay? Uh, that kind of thing. But uh, preaching is God's method, both for us in uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, as well as you, when you go out and live it before people, the whole purpose of that is so that they'll come and ask questions. So you'll have an opportunity to preach them. Now, you're not going to be preachy, about preaching to them, but you're going to share with them why you have this hope in you, okay? Because that's God's methodology, okay? So he moves on. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, you have been sent. As you're going, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you. You have been sent, okay? We get to preach. Then he goes on, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This afternoon at lunchtime, we were talking about toenails. You got to wonder, right? <laughs> Whole point being is, you know, you look at the feet and it's kind of like, out of all the things on this body, feet are not the top of the beautiful things, you know? The top of the head might be the top of the beautiful thing. I don't know. But uh, the feet are not it. He's not really talking about the feet. It's the beauty of the person that is going, not considering themselves, but considering those lost souls that need to hear the good news. 
That's the beautiful part of it. They're going and talking to people. They're preaching the gospel uh, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mo- upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How about Nahum 1.15? Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaim peace, O Judah. Keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now obviously Nahum is talking about a future time because the wicked ones are still wandering through Jerusalem here and there. Uh, But it is one of those things where uh, the idea of someone going and, and helping people understand what the future holds and how to have that good future, that is a beautiful thing. And then notice, written in the celebration of the deliverance from Babylon's captivity. Uh, When uh, Nahum is writing, uh, he's writing in the celebration of the deliverance from Babylon's uh, Babylonian captivity, and he's looking forward to a future deliverance for all. Now, Isaiah is actually a couple hundred years before, but he's still pointing out uh, the whole future thing. In Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You know, pastor hasn't gotten there yet. He's still dealing with Babylon. And I don't know about you, but there's been some good stuff in all that we see in in that chapter. But chapter 19 is coming. (laughs) okay the lord's coming back and when he comes back we had to come with him we're going to be riding on white horses we're going to have white clothes on and you imagine all those dead people getting killed and blood splattering all over the place none of it's getting on us because we're not going to battle we're coming to watch our king do some business okay and he's going to be taking care of business and then we're going to uh, everyone's going to get to see the salvation of our god so that brings us from celebration to sorrow he's just gone on and talked about the beautiful the beauty of people sharing that good news because people have been sent because so that people can hear so that they can believe and all that kind of stuff and then he goes from there to sorrow uh, from celebration to sorrow number 1 but They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? That's coming out of Isaiah 53.1. The word obeyed is hupokuo, and it means to hear under as a subordinate, to listen attentively, to heed to or conform to a command or authority, to hearken, to be obedient, to obey. Now, why do I use that when it says who has believed our report? Well, in the previous passage, our previous part of the verse, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Notice, obedience and believing are tied together. Okay? So, uh, a couple of verses here in Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to believe the gospel. Uh Uh-huh. You can't separate the two. 
Okay, uh, to show you that a little bit more, uh, notice in Second Thess- Second Thessalonians two, um, ten through twelve, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So we see believed, and then notice immediately thereafter they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is not obeying what God says to do or, or doing what God says not to do. That would be unrighteousness. So they are, their belief and their behavior go together. <coughs> And then Hebrews 5, 9, and, they have, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, if you're saved here today, Jesus Christ is the author of your eternal salvation because you obeyed him. Wait a minute, I thought all we had to do was believe. Uh-huh, Exactly. What does he say? Believe and you will be saved. Call on him. Worship him, adore him, praise him. We've done that. We've obeyed. It's not by doing something, it's by obeying. He said believe, we believed. So we're saved and he is the author of that salvation. Okay, that brings us down to... uh, uh, Isaiah's report is Paul's glad tidings. Um, we, uh, it says, uh, for Isaiah says, uh, who has believed our report? The word there in the Greek would be euagelizo. Uh, I, I think that's how you'd say it. And when, uh, when Paul talks about believing the gospel, the word for gospel there is euagelion. So it's the same root word. Okay, who has believed our report? Our gospel, well, they didn't. And that's why it's uh, turning celebration to sorrow. Notice number two, those not believing are already under condemnation. You know, when, when we tell people about what the future holds if they don't believe, we make it sound like someday they're going to be condemned. Now, the reason why we do that is we don't know if they're elect or not, right? They, they could believe today and be saved. But if they don't believe, then ultimately they're going to see the condemnation that they are now already under. How do I know that? John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him already. That's the idea there. It abides on him already. So when we're talking to people, uh, we need to understand they're already under condemnation. We're talking about a future condemnation where they get to experience it. Right now it rains on the just and the unjust alike, but... Uh, someday that'll all fix. So that brings us to a summary of verses 1 through 16. Letter A. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, Romans 3.3, 3, for what if some did not believe? 
Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Of course, the answer is no. Hebrews 4.2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So, they heard it, but they didn't believe it, and you need to hear it to believe. Notice it is not by intuition, mystical experience, meditation, speculation, and any number of other methodologies that people would use, but it's by hearing and believing the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I see this in a twofold format. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. So we're sent to preach so that they can hear and know, and then they can believe, right? But is it because you went and talked to them that they heard and believed? Or when you talked to them and shared with them the good news and the Holy Spirit stirs it all up in there, and all of a sudden they're going, huh, Yeah, I I think it is through the preaching of the Word that God uses that and the Holy Spirit to create life, the ability, if you will, to believe in the ones that He's called. But they're still responsible to believe because how difficult is the gospel to understand? It's not difficult at all. Uh, I owe a debt that I cannot pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. You know, that's pretty simple. And uh, by believing, God imputes his righteousness to us. So, uh, but by hearing and believing the word of God. Evangelism's purpose, not human persuasion. And, and can I tell you something? I have been sharing Jesus Christ with people since I've been saved. That's 41 years and a little more now. And I think I do a pretty good job of making it very simple and very clear. Many times people that come in for benevolence will tell me that. Uh, The reality is, is as simple as it is and as clear as I can make it, makes absolutely no difference in their lives. It's only when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict them of sin and things like that, that all of that brings forth life. Uh, It is not by our persuasion. This is one of the reasons why, if you're sharing the gospel, you do not need to have all the answers because it is not the intelligent conversation, the ability to answer all the questions. It is the work of the Holy Spirit through your testimony and the Word of God that brings about the life in them. So um, uh, the purpose of the evangelism, not human persuasion and clever devices for manipulative results, uh, we visited Lynn's mom last year, Aprilish time, and we haven't always seen eye to eye. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and we did real good. Went to the Amish country and bought spices, woohoo, <laughs> and all kinds of things like that together. Went to the Mennonite uh, uh, museum, and uh, it, it was a it was a nice visit. And on the last day, she just really pushed the the buttons. <laughs> uh, churches should have invitations. And I'm listening. A lot of churches just don't do it and, and they should do it. 
And I finally said, Mom, do you realize how unbiblical they are? She goes, what? I go, they didn't even start them until like the 1700s, 1800s. And when you go back and look at the evangelists that started using music to manipulate people to come forward, they feel bad, they're crying. And then they go off and get drunk afterwards. I mean, that's the kind of thing that is unbiblical. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that brings the conviction that changes the life, not the manipulation to bring people. And so uh, we, 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 uh, we're still friends, <laughs> okay? Uh, but uh, that was one of those things where we just don't agree on. She, she thinks there ought to be an invitation at every service. And, and Pastor reminds people, look, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, today you can know Him. You can come and talk to any, you know, anybody in here. Well, hopefully anybody in here, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, so, but we, we're not asking people to come forward as we sing just as I am 16 times. Okay, that kind of thing. So, um, number two there, faithfully proclaiming the gospel so that the Holy Spirit can convict those who hear and accept the word of God. And then, of course, Paul goes on and asks some more rhetorical questions. But I say, have they not heard? Speaking of Israel again, Yes, indeed. And I think that's in the Greek. Yes, indeedy. You know, um, Paul quotes the LXX or the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, of David's Psalm 19 and verse 4. And let me see. I don't have that here. Um, he says, David understood the universal parameters of God's offer of salvation. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. Now, what's he talking about? The nature, the creation, declaring the glory of God. That's going out to everybody. And their words to the ends of the world. Because of nature, we know from Romans chapter 1, everyone knows there is a God. Okay? And if you truly believe that there is a God, and you know that, hmm, I've been convicted of sin... Somehow we got to get this thing taken care of. Well, then you go searching. He who seeks will find. He who knocks, door's going to be open. That kind of a thing. Okay? So uh, they have heard, but they didn't listen. So more rhetorical questions. So that brings us to our last uh, four verses here, the predictions of Scripture. The basis of Israel's ignorance is not based on a lack of truth. Did Israel not know? Well, what he's going to do right now is say, look, Moses said it. Isaiah said it. Oh, yeah, Isaiah said it again. These people should have known. So it's not a matter of uh, they didn't have the information. They were willfully ignorant of what the Scripture teaches. Notice God's call of Abraham, it was to be a blessing to the whole earth. In Genesis 12, 3, uh, 3, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You notice all the way back there with uh, Genesis chapter 12, God is saying, through Abraham, the blessings that I have are open to everyone. Okay, but more than that, 
a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Uh, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, speaking to Israel. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. We already read verse 6 there. If the Israel of nation is going to be priests, they're going to be the go-between between God and the rest of the world. <clears throat> so that brings us to Paul showing the Scripture teaches the universality of the offer of salvation. He starts by quoting the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy 32.21, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Deuteronomy 32.21 says, They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. Here, the Israelites were going after false gods and God being a jealous God. Look, I'm the only real one. So why are you wasting your attention over there? Get back over here. Now, uh, because he's jealous, this is what he says. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. In other words, a people that are not like Israel. They're not Israel. Those are the ones I'm going to use to provoke Israel to jealousy. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. A foolish nation be, being those that don't have uh, the word of God, don't have the covenants, and yet I'm going to make them my special people so that Israel gets angry. Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, they have, uh, have they stumbled that they should fall? And of course, we're going to talk about this, uh, I think, two weeks from now. Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Okay, so in quoting the Pentateuch, he points out that salvation's been offered to everyone. Quoting Isaiah, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That's found in Isaiah 65.1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. So God has opened himself up to receive more than just Israel. Romans 9.30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. So you're just pointing out that this is all fulfillment of what God has said in the Old Testament. And then he continues with Isaiah, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Again, Isaiah 65, 2, uh, uh, to all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. They walk according to their own thoughts. Okay, so let's look at a couple of words there. All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The word disobedient is apatheo, to disbelieve willfully and perversely. To not believe, to be disobedient, to obey not, unbelieving. Literally, to contradict. And in this particular case, uh, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a people that contradict me. 
Ouch. <laughs> okay? Th- this is what he's working with. People that would not believe. In fact, Jesus even put it that way. I would have done this for you, but you would not. If you would have only believed, but you would not. So when we talk about free will, we understand, yeah, chapter 9, God's mostly emphasizing election. Chapter 10, here's why Israel finds itself in the state that it finds itself in. Because when they had the opportunity to believe, not only to be a special people, but the salvation was for everybody, they said, no, don't like that. Save us and nobody else or else. And God said, okay, or else is the, the, the topic I'm going to choose. Okay, and we're going to see uh, a little bit more of this. And thankfully, as we do, we're going to see between the rest of this chapter and chapter 11, that ultimately God is coming to a point where he works with Israel again and brings them back to himself, which is really important when you start looking at end time understanding. Uh, The reason why we believe that there's a tribulation and a millennial kingdom and we're taken out of the way before all of this is because this is all, uh, you know, God is working to bring Israel to repentance. The kingdom, a fulfillment of the promises that he gave to them. We're already participants in the spiritual sense, but they get the physical one because that's what God promised them. Okay, so it's only as you start seeing Scripture the way Paul's explaining it here that, uh, oh yeah, we we didn't replace Israel, okay? We're a a special project. God took a little parenthesis, threw it in the plan, and he's fulfilling what he wanted to fulfill with Israel, bring Gentiles, but he hasn't given up on them. He's going to come back to working in their lives too. Okay, clear as mud? Excellent. Let's close in prayer, and I hope that you have a good God-honoring week. Remember, on Wednesday night, if you're not working in Awana, come on in here. We are dealing with a little bit of church history. Presently, we're going through the book of Acts, but we're dealing with how things that have gone on in the world affect the church, and sometimes it's purity. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love, your care. Thank you for salvation. We recognize, Lord, that truly, without you, we're all under condemnation and deservedly so. Yes, I know there are people that are much more wicked than I am. But I know, Lord, that I am so wicked. There's no way I could be in your presence. And I say the first part, understanding that a lot of people think that they're basically good. But you've told us that we aren't. We're twisted. We've been twisted by sin. Uh, even our own opinion of ourselves is, is that that has been one that's been deceived. And so with that, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We do pray, Lord, that as we consider those around us, we recognize that there's a lost and dying world and that we might be about the business of living by your grace to glorify you so that we might have opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And if they reject, Lord, we, re- we recognize that they've rejected. And if they accept, we recognize, Lord, that you've called them from before the foundations of the world. Thank you again for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.